everyone. I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here on Tuesday, August 4th, and I'm back with uh, Shawan Hames. Shawan, want to let everybody know how you're doing? Not bad at all. I was trying, I was trying to find, uh, ever since this thing started, I was supposed to start grappling again, but then after the whole pandemic thing started, just threw all my plans out the window, so... I'm kind of having the urge to kind of get back in, get some grappling, get some kickboxing in, but I don't know when that's going to happen. Where are you, in Texas? Yeah. I used to show up at Open Max. I, I get, my kids cost too much. People are like, why don't you join? I'm like, I don't have an extra whatever it takes to go to these classes regularly. I mean, so, yeah. But I used to keep dropping the Open Max or, you know, find people who grapple and kind of meet up, but it's been, it's been difficult. In between movement and everything else going on. Are gyms open down there? Uh, I've, I've heard some of them are. I've heard some of them, but I, I don't know anybody personally who goes to any that are open. Uh, okay, okay. Well, you'll find one, and when you do, let me know. Um, I'll probably be down that place soon one day to beat you up. <laughs> um, um, you would be able to grapple me. I'm more of a... I'm more, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a functional grappler. I've like, you know, like somebody who spent a lot of time rolling. So it's like, you're just real comfortable, but you're not super technical. That would just describe me. But it's just fun. It's just a fun thing to do. It's super fun to do. I got you. I got you on that, man. So let's go ahead and jump into tonight's show and talk about a couple of different topics. Um, right out the gate, let's move over to Bellator. Or excuse me, not Bellator. Goodness, I'm all over the place tonight. Let's start with the action from this past weekend. UFC Fight Night 173, where Derek Brunson picked up a big win over Evan Shabazian, stopping him 26 seconds into the third round. So, Swan, let's talk about this. With Derek Brunson, we both previewed this fight, expecting the Brunson of old to show up and see him lose this fight. But he showed us a lot of different things on Saturday. Was this win more about him Evolving or Shabazzian still being too much of a prospect? Uh, I, I don't really know that it was him evolving. I, like a lot of people, a lot of people think because I, I'm pointing out facts about Derek Brunson that I don't, I don't respect what he does or I don't think he's a good fighter. It's not that I don't think he's a good fighter. It's that when it's come to a certain level of opposition, he's consistently found a way to lose. Except, you know, maybe a win over a, a Beta Leota Machida. When he's gotten to a certain caliber of opponent, he's never found a way to get past that guy. That's just, I hate to be the guy who has to bring that up, but it's just a fact. Um, Derek, the, the biggest shock that I had on that night was Derek Brunson kind of went to the wrestling a little bit went a little bit earlier than I thought he would. And um, usually he just gets in these firefights and often is on the, the, the bad end of it. And if you really watch the fight um, early on, Edmund was, was putting it to him. And even when uh, he was finishing him, where he's landing on the feet. He's still putting his chin up. He's still kind of wide open. He's still kind of leaning into shots. I'm not saying he can't be effective. He's a great athlete. He's super strong. He's super physical. Um, it's just generally he gets into these firefights where he has a lot of defensive lapses that ends up getting him punished. Uh, when he puts the wrestling in, he can be he can be a dangerous fighter. He, can, he it, it adds another element that opens up his striking. It also makes up for some of the defensive um missteps he makes because he always has that takedown in the back of his pocket so i wasn't necessarily surprised that he attempted this the surprise was more like this didn't tell me much about Derek brunson Derek brunson hits hard he's super physical he can wrestle i already knew that um the question was going to be what happened when edmund 
was put in, in a position that he didn't want to be in when he couldn't completely control where the fight took place and the pace of the fight. And it just so turned out that when that happened, he, he really didn't have any answers, like nothing that he could sustain when, um, when Brunson started mixing it up on him. So it told me a lot about Edmund. It didn't really tell me anything different about um, Derek. Like I said uh, the week before, if Edmund beats him, that means he's in that elite class. If, De- if Edmund loses, it just proves that he's a prospect who needs more seasoning. And Derek beating a prospect that needs more seasoning, he's done that before. The question is, can the question I still have to ask is, can he beat an elite guy? Elite guy in the division, can Derek Brunson beat him? Because he has not shown that yet, and he still hasn't. Maybe maybe Edmonds and Shabazi is an elite talent, but clearly he's not an elite guy as of yet. So looking at this win for Brunson here, is this a big moment for him? I don't expect to see him to move too much in the rankings, but what are your thoughts about that? I don't think it's a big. I don't think it's a big uh, move for him, to be quite honest. Um, Stavazian had shown some talent. He showed some skills, some athleticism. I don't know that anybody had bought into him. Is I mean, they saw said he had the potential to be a title challenger. He still has that potential. He showed that talent, but he wasn't truly established in the middleweight division. So beating him kind of just reminds people that Derek Brunson is a force, and not just anybody can beat him. But it doesn't still it still doesn't prove that Derek Brunson's an elite middleweight because all the guys who were considered elite um, have beaten him. Adesanya, Whitaker, Yoel Romero, Anderson Silva isn't considered elite, and he's also got a win over him. So I, I don't think it changes anything for him. For people who just thought he couldn't fight and he was going to be a stepping stone, it might change their perception of him. But for anybody who kind of knows Derek Brunson, like I said, he, he didn't show us anything he hadn't, he hadn't shown us before. He, he might have shown a little bit more veteran experience and and playing a smarter fight game. But outside of that, we've seen Derek Brunson wrestle before. We always ask why he doesn't do it more. We've seen Derek Brunson knock people out. We always wonder why he hasn't done it more, you know. So he didn't show anything different. He didn't submit him. And um, early in the fight, he was getting 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 to take it to him on the feet. So it was kind of going the way a Derek Brunson fight against an elite talent usually goes. So I think it just he's just in a holding pattern. We still have to see him beat an elite guy. If he wants to move in division, he's going to have to beat somebody of an elite caliber. And until he does, he's going to be pretty much where he's always been, a, a dangerous fighter, but a guy who's always been a step or two below elite levels in the division. And what about Shabazzian here? Are we looking at his ceiling, or should we should we be talking about something else? I think Shabazzian, there's, there's a... Shabazzian, we all know, is um, coached by Edmund Taradurian. Tar- they say it. Um, Ronda's ex coach. And so. Edmund Yeah, we got, we got to see the, the best and the worst of it. Um, Shabazian's athletic. He hits hard. He's, he's not necessarily a terrible defensive wrestler. He's got some grappling skills. But what it seems like is he's a guy who, who has to have control of a fight for him to win. Like you can push him, you can, you can, you can make it tough. But if he doesn't have a certain amount of control in the fight, some of those defensive lashes start showing up. Maybe a lack of conditioning shows up. And, it, and his coach, who's who hasn't been known to to be good in situations, stressful situations or chaotic situations, um, kind of once again got exposed for that because once fights started going against Shabazian, he didn't really seem to have any answers. He didn't really seem to be calm. He didn't really seem to be able to protect his fighter or give his fighter any directions that would allow him to regain control of the fight once he lost it. So Shabazian, I still think he's the good. 
I, I still think he has talent. I just think he needs a little bit more seasoning, and he might need to maybe work on his conditioning in regards to transitioning between striking and grappling because it was wrestling, because if you haven't really worked that, and I don't mean worked it from you're taking somebody down and you're imposing your will on them, but taking it from the point of you're getting taken down, you're getting beat up, you're getting pushed back. It's a different sort of, it's a different sort of cardio. Everybody's in good shape when they're dictating. The question is how good a shape you are when somebody else is dictating you. And I don't know that he's consistently working with guys who are putting him in bad spots and really bullying him because as soon as he started getting, having to work, in certain positions, in certain spots, it seemed like he was gassing. It seemed like he didn't know what to do. It seemed like he was making, like, he'd make one wrong move and he'd compound it with another one. And I don't know if it's just a matter of Brunson hits that hard or he was caught off guard by how bloody Brunson was, but he just didn't seem to have any sort of way to slow the fight or to regain control halfway through that second round. And that's that's concerning. But given his coach's tendency, that's pretty fairly predictable, to be quite honest. So I think Edmund still has a high ceiling. I just think he needs some work in very specific areas, namely his conditioning when he's forced to be in a, in a physical kind of high-contact wrestling-type battle. You know, he hasn't really been tested in that area, and he, he truly got tested it tonight or last night or Saturday night, and uh, he was found to be lacking in that area. I think that was that he just didn't have enough grappling or enough wrestling to do anything once, once the wrestling started being asserted on him. Do you think he needs to leave this team? Um, I don't necessarily know. I don't know. I don't know that he needs to leave his team. Ah. Well, it's like I, I wrote an article about Edmund when he was working with Ronda. There's a lot of good things he brings to the table. A lot of people won't give him any credit, but there's a lot of good things he brings to the table. His fighters believe in him. He can work on their transitional striking. He's very good at setting up a system of fighting that allows, that highlights his athlete's strength and kind of minimizes their weaknesses. But the problem he's had as a coach historically is he doesn't have a lot of poise. He doesn't seem to have a lot of flexibility in how he teaches and what he teaches. And he doesn't seem to know how to address weaknesses. He knows how to mask them. He knows how to kind of help you navigate them. But he doesn't know how to address them. And with that kind of weakness, seemingly, he's going to have to address it. You can only get, you know, it's like a guy, a striker who can knock everybody out. He just has to take down the fence. Well, at some point, someone's going to take you down and keep you down. You need to learn how to wrestle better or you need to learn how to grapple, preferably both. There's only going to be so many times where you defend and knock somebody out. At some point, someone's going to get you to the ground. And when they do, that hole's, that hole's going to be exposed. And I don't know that Edmund has the skill set. And I don't know if Edmund is willing to let somebody else come in and kind of mix in and call the shots so that he can take those steps forward. I mean, as good as Ronda Rousey's been, she, was, she hadn't shown much off her bat with the few times she was on it. And, and I, I just don't know. I, I feel like he has the resources. I just don't know that Edmund is going to let him, let Shabazi in kind of take the time off to rebuild himself and retool himself. I don't know if that's the plan they have for him. If they think he's going to be a big star, they might want him back in the cage as soon as possible. And I don't think that's the answer. I think he needs at least six to nine months off to really work on his craft and address some holes and then come back in and rebuild his confidence and rebuild his momentum. But I, I don't think that's what's going to be done. I think they're going to push him right back in and he might go from a unbeaten prospect to a guy on a two-fight losing streak real quick. I mean, were, were you shocked by how the wrestling changed the fight? I mean, as, as a person with an extensive grappling background, you assume most fighters have to address this. You have to be aware of this because it's almost impossible just to stay, out, stay on your feet for the entirety of every single fight you're going to be in. So the thing is, fights like this open up a game plan on how to beat 
Shabazian, which everyone is aware of now. Yes, he can go out there and strike with the best, but MMA contests are not just striking fights. So now you're looking at someone like maybe a Kelvin Gastello, who's like, huh, I can take this guy down, and as long as I can weather the striking, I'll be okay. Hell, he weathered, he weathered striking against um, Adesanya, so he should be able to go out there and do the same thing against Shabazian. And he isn't, he may not be a massive name, but he's enough of a name that someone like a Gustella may, may want to bounce back against. He's he's ranked number 10 right now in the, in the weight class, so he might want to. He might be concerned about that in the way people will plan on fighting him in the future. Yeah, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, if I'm if I'm Kelvin and I have a, the chin I have, and my cardio is still there, basically, that might be a fight. When I see a guy who gets taken down that easily and tires that fast, once you bring wrestling into it, that that might be a fight I'm looking for. Maybe if Chris Weidman wins his next fight, he might be looking to put a two fight streak together, and he's like. If I can just get my hands on this guy, if I can just get my hands on this guy, then I can beat him. I mean, it's it's he just I won't say he looked bad, he just looked unprepared and he didn't seem conditioned at all for that aspect. And I don't understand how you're so unprepared for something that's almost a guarantee to happen. I mean, how many fighters actually go through four or five, six fights without ha- having some kind of extensive grappling exchange? Like you have to you have to be prepared, you have to be addressing that before it comes. And Edmund did not do that, in my opinion. He didn't address it. He didn't address it from the position of you being taken down and you being forced to work. Now, he might have worked wrestling, but I think they worked it from the position of him being in control. And the minute he wasn't, he got tired real quick. And you wonder how that happens with a professional fighter who should, in all, all, for all intents and purposes, be prepared not just to be the hammer, but to be the nail. Like, you can't assume you're going to dictate a control range for the entirety of a fight versus everybody you fight. I mean, that's just irresponsible coaching, in my opinion. So let's talk about another, I guess, important win or loss, because you have Joanne Calderwood, who had a title shot in her hands, let it fall right through when she takes a fight against Jennifer Maya and goes out there and gets submitted in the first round. Let's talk about Calderwood here, because how much did she lose in this fight now that she's completely out of the title picture? Given the division, you know, I could see her getting back to a title fight, maybe in a fight or two. But the thing about it was, in her win streak, she hadn't really beaten anybody of note. If you really look close to it, it wasn't like she was just beating, you know, like the highest end people in division, if I recall correctly. I think Ariana Lipsky, wait, no. Yeah, I think it was Lipsky she beat. And who else? Let me check real quick. It was like it was like a win streak that it was a win streak, but it wasn't one that really kind of set you. Oh, she she beat Andrea Lee, she beat Ariana Lipsky and Kalindra Faria. Not exactly a you know murderer's row, and she lost to Caitlin Chukagan. So I mean that win streak wasn't the greatest win streak, and even though she won three out of her last four, you know it wasn't. It wasn't really top competition. It wasn't really girls who presented matchup problems for her. So while I feel that she can get right back in the title picture, you never know what's going to happen. And with at her age, 
and given her fighting style and, and the limitations she has as a fighter, at this point, every fight starts to become dangerous. As the division starts to fill up more and, and there becomes less of a gap between people, every fight becomes dangerous. And I feel like she pretty much gave away gave away a title fight for, for a fight. If I was her manager and I'm her coach, I wouldn't have had her taken. It, it was just a bad matchup. And now she's got to wait at least six to eight months before she gets into another fight. And, and I don't know. I just think it was a bad move on her part. And uh, unfortunately, like, and I'm just, I wrote an article about her probably like a couple years ago. And the sad thing about it is almost all the things I mentioned in that article are still true as of now. She's not great at the pocket. She's not a fast starter. She depends heavily on her physical strength and her size to get clinches, to get takedowns. And uh, she depends on long-range strikes to slow opponents down because she can't handle fighting at mid-range. And if you watch that fight carefully, she shot for a takedown because Jennifer Maya was lighting her up on the feet. Every time she kept trying to push kick her and, and, and snap kick her and keep her away, but she kept on in, ending up in the pocket, and Maya was just having her way with her. She knew that she couldn't stay in extended exchanges, so then she took the, she forced the takedown. But from that point on, it's like it's like she was just a half step slow, or or she didn't know what to do, and she got submitted. I mean, that that's just me looking at it from the overall picture. When you're watching it, when you're watching it as an as an extensive grappler, I mean, did you just feel like she was a step behind, or she was outclassed? Because it seemed like she didn't know what to do to get to improve position or to defend the submission. It seemed like she fell right into it. She was definitely outclassed on the mat. It looked as if she was not ready for the positional battle. Because as soon as you see, like it was clear as day that Maya was going for the armbar. Clear as day. And when you're fighting someone that has long limbs like that, especially long arms, armbar is the way to go. And Kyle Wood had zero defense at any point in time. And it was just a matter of moments before she was tapping out. And even when there was a moment where right before she rolled over that she could have still tried to defend using what is kind of called like a you it's called like a hand and elbow trick but not not really a trick but it's a simple defense that, that you can really get out of there but she was not even going for that position and she was really outclassed the second this fight hit the ground i was kind of surprised though that maya was piecing her up on her feet that really caught would... me off guard I was not surprised at all because Calder was terrible in boxing range. She's great if she if you can leg kick you and front kick you and push kick you. She's great in the clinch. But the thing about it is, much like Khabib Nurmagomedov, her entries into the clinch are trash. I mean, they're straight garbage. And they haven't gotten any better. And she's a slow starter. She, like, she has this physical presence that allows her to kind of move girls around because girls are trying to stay away from her. And she, and she uses that long-range weapon to kind of work her way in. But... Maya's big for the division. Maya's physically strong and durable. She can't she can't bully her. She can't just push her off and walk her down. So every time she started stepping into the clinch, she's getting hit with a combination. And and she's not and there's been multiple fights where she's been rocked early. Courtney Casey did it to her. She had to take her down. Um I wanna say uh another an Asian fighter, I can't remember who she is, landed early. She ended up taking her down a wrestler. There's been multiple fights in Joanna Calder what's been in where she's gotten lit up in punching and boxing range and had to resort to takedowns. I, I felt that was going to happen. I mean, Maya's not a super busy fighter, but when you have a slow, big fighter who's got poor defense and starts slow, you, you can't help but look good against them. I, I expected her to, to land on the feet. 
I just thought JoJo Calderwood would have enough training and common sense to not force the takedown. I, I had no idea why she was forcing that takedown. I would have forced the clinch before I forced the takedown, because at least in the clinch, you can control her, use the elbows and the knees. But she went for a takedown, and I was like, I, I just didn't understand. That was like a bad strategic mistake, and I don't know if that's what her corner taught her, or she just panicked because she was getting lit up, and she went back to old habits. But, I mean, she threw away a title fight because of it, and to me, I would think this hurts her ranking because it wasn't even a competitive fight. She didn't win on the feet. She looked awful on the ground. She just looked like she didn't even look like she belonged in the same cage as Jennifer Myers. So it was just bad all around. And, and I, I can't say I was shocked at all. I was talking about this all week leading up to the fight. I'm like, this is going to go really bad for her. I thought Maya might have a chance of knocking her out, but Calderwood wasn't going to take that risk. It, it just was a really bad look for her. Just, just really bad coach, really bad preparation, really bad fight. How do you think Maya fares against the current champion, Valentina Shevchenko? I think because of, I think similar to um, similar to Calderwood, I feel like she has some 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 opportunity because she is big, she's physical, she's physically strong, and she's not afraid of exchanges. Now I don't know that she can beat Shevchenko in exchanges. I don't know that she went, wins extended exchanges. But unlike Liz Carmouche, she's not afraid to walk through some fire. And unlike Jessica I, she actually has legitimate boxing skills she can rely on. And unlike Caitlin Chukagian, she has physical strength. She's not just going to get ragdolled. She's just not going to get pushed around and pushed back. Valentina might beat her, but Valentina most likely is going to have to just out quicker and knock her out. Because if you let Maya get some momentum going, there's a good chance she could wear on her. There's a good chance she could lean on her. There's a good chance that she, she could get some good work in through the rounds. My question is the level of athleticism. My question is the level, the pace of the fight. Can Maya handle that pace? And once again, my question is, Maya is used to bullying people. Shevchenko might not be able to bully Maya, but Maya is not going to be able to bully her either. This is the same girl who had two fights with Amanda Nunes. So Maya is not just going to truck her and throw her down and submit her and, and walk through her the same way she did Jojo Calder when she's done other fighters. So does she have a chance based on her physical tools and her willingness to expose herself to risk? Yes. Does she have a good chance? Um, athleticism, experience. Level of striking says now. Yeah, I'm kind of worried for anyone who gets placed against Shevchenko in the near future, but we'll see how that plays out for them. So we have what else? Did anything else on the card stand out to you before before we move on? Uh, I was I, I watched the uh, I want there were two fights real quick. Uh, Vicente Luque Randy Brown fight. I like Randy Brown, but I felt like he was a, half, a step and a half below Luke and this was pretty much a showcase fight for Luke Brown didn't have the athleticism, the power, or the striking, or the transitional skills to do anything. He just basically got beat up and finished, and it was a bad look for him, and it was bad matchmaking on the part of his team. They should have looked at that match and said, our guy's, our guy's not on that level yet. He doesn't have enough tools to create the spots he needs to, and he's not physically durable to force the spots he needs to without the tools. So I thought that was a bad match making on his part. Great fight for Vincente. It made him look like a beast and a killer. And once again, he's got more momentum moving back into the welterweight uh, division in, in the top of the conversation as far as being a contender. The uh, Bobby Green-Lando Venata fight uh, was a good fight. Bobby Green won. So Bobby Green's on a two-fight winning streak. It seems like he's kind of figured out how to balance his offense and defense. Before, he would just get out work because he liked to slip and roll and parry and talk to you and throw up his hands and shoulder 
and give you a little shimmy and, and dance. And it was cool. I liked it because I, I like defensive fighters who pot shot. But he would get outworked by guys he was clearly outclassing technically. So he seems to have found that balance. But um, the person I really want to talk about is Vlado Venata, who came in initially into UFC to fight Tony Ferguson a short notice and almost beat him. And ever since then, he just never seemed to live up to the the expectations the UFC had of him. He's been an action fighter, but he's been an example of what happens when you have an athlete with dynamic skills and you have a coaching staff that relies more on the, his physical skills and his durability than actually teaching him the finer points of the game. Because he's very durable. He's still athletic. He hits hard. But he doesn't have any defense. He doesn't have any strategical awareness. He doesn't have any way to put together strikes responsibly that don't expose him to be punished by his opponent. And because of that lack of development, I feel like he's going to have his careers falling off greatly. He was thought of as a future star. Now he's considered a journeyman. And he's losing fights in a manner that I feel is going to affect his quality of life two, three, four years from now. And it's all because he wasn't coached how to defend himself. And, I, and when, they, when, you, when you have a fighter, defending yourself doesn't mean win. Defending yourself means can you intelligently defend yourself, i.e. not take unnecessary punishment. And this dude has not found a punch, knee, kick, elbow. He has not. He's been afraid to take. And that's a problem. And that's on his coaching staff. Because if I had a fighter like that and they're refusing to even address their defense at any level, I'm not going to have you representing me. Not because it makes me look bad, because I feel personally responsible whatever happens to you two or three years down the line because I didn't teach you enough of how to navigate deep damage to where you can function like a healthy person. A war every other time, every three fights, that's one thing. But a war for a guy who's not a big hitter, who's not a great finisher, and like almost every fight has been a fight of the night type fight, that's the kind of stuff that ruins people. And he, don't make enough, he doesn't make enough money to be ruined like that for the rest of his life. Just my opinion. So what was interesting in that situation or in the Bobby Green Lando Venado fight was for me, I always forget all about Bobby Green. Always. I always forget that he's still on the roster. I always forget like his skill set because I he's another one of those guys who I think could have been so much more. But something kept him from that slot. I don't know if it was the bad decisions he was a part of some of those split decision losses he took, but he just was, he has not, I don't want to say lived up to what we thought he would be, but his positioning as a UFC lightweight has never excelled in the way I thought it would. What are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, I mean, he even took some time off for a while because he was so disillusioned with how he was losing decisions. And while I can always say he was competitive in his fights, I, I stand by the fact that I said he, he has the same issue that Jorge Masvidal does. If he doesn't feel like he's being getting his ass whipped, he doesn't feel like he's losing. And these guys are throwing four strikes for every one he's throwing. And yeah, they're not hitting you clean. And yeah, they're not really damaging you. But the fact of the matter is when I see it, if you watch a fight and you're a judge and you see a guy throwing four fights or four punches to every one that guy's throwing, if the other guy's not getting hit, you wonder why isn't he, why isn't he ramping up his volume? So it, it looks like the other guy's taking control because the work rate he's doing is far overshadowing the work rate the other fighters are doing. And if you're throwing one or two strikes at a time, those better be super damaging strikes. And while Green would land clean, he wasn't doing a huge amount of damage. And a lot of times he wouldn't even use his wrestling, which is another element that assisted in him losing close fights. I won't say he deserved to lose all those close fights, but I will say he didn't do himself any favors by constantly playing to the crowd and 
sticking his tongue out and flashing his teeth and, and just showing that you're not touching me because the other not touching you, but you're not offering anything definitively better. So you're basically getting out worse. It seems like even though he complained about it, he's addressed it because he, he, he had that, he had a little bit more balance than what he was doing in that fight, in my opinion. And if he can find that balance, I feel like he can go on a run at 55. The problem was he would never be consistent. He'd be an exciting fight. But sometimes he'd win a close decision. Sometimes he'd lose a close decision. He could never get the momentum necessary to break into the elite caliber. I don't know that he can do it now. But if he can put two or three fights together, the, the, the division is in, in a little bit of flux. And there's enough guys out there who are vulnerable enough with names who can help him take the next step. Uh, Tony Ferguson, at this point, would be a good fight for uh, Dan Hooker at this point, would be a good fight for him. Guys with names who have just the right style and maybe just the right weaknesses to kind of get him in, in the talks of beating with other named fighters because he's got to be the name for him to get bigger names like Poirier and whoever else is there. But I, I feel he has the opportunity. I feel he has the opponents available and the opportunity necessary to make that next step if he can find the balance between offense and defense. All right there, sir. Let's move on to some upcoming action. What do you want to start with first? Want to go Bellator or UFC? Uh, we can do Bellator. I mean, might as well. I don't know that anybody else is talking about him, so I guess we should. Well, there's only one fight I want to talk about. Michael Chandler versus Benson Henderson. This is a rematch. This is a big fight to me. I'm looking forward to it. I like when these two guys scrap because they, they literally scrap the whole time. So we have... They're not fighting for the title. I think it's still a five-round fight here. Do you think this fight is going to go any different than the first one did? I think it'll go. I think it'll go different. And if I, I know the Pitbull, the Pitbull brothers, and I know their management. Before they, he fought Chandler again. I told him, I was like, Chandler is still athletic. He's not the athlete he used to be, and his, and because he knows his chin isn't where it used to be. Now he fights a little bit more carefully, but he's not really a defensively sound fighter or a defensive type fighter. He's an offensive type fighter. So he's stuck between following his, his nature, which is to attack, and knowing his limitations and being defensively aware and safety first. And that's a hard thing to do for a guy who so much of his, his success has been on physicality, athleticism, volume, and forward pressure. Um, I feel like he's not as durable as he used to be. I feel like Benson Henderson is a comparable athlete to him. Maybe not the same way, but Benson's very strong. He's very agile. He's very flexible. He's got good explosion. He's got good cardio. I feel like Benson can still handle what Michael Chandler has to get offer offensively. I don't know that Michael Chandler can handle what Benson Henderson has to offer offensively. I, I'm not saying he couldn't, he couldn't win a decision. I'm not saying he couldn't outposition him and outwrestle him. But I feel like physically he's vulnerable. I feel like if you can put a good three to five combination on him, you can put him on skates. He's shown a vulnerability to the calf kicks and the leg kicks against Primus. And uh, Henderson's a much better kicker than him. Henderson's a much better grappler. And Henderson's a good enough wrestler that he can force grapples and at least neutralize Chandler to some degree. So if Chandler gets hurt, he can't just bail out himself with the wrestling. He can't just bail out himself trying to grapple. He, he would be in just as much trouble as he would be on the feet. Um, the question really comes down to how durable Hen Henderson is and if Henderson's still got the fire to push the pace the way he needs to push it and, ex and extend those those striking and grappling changes the way he needs to extend them to put Chandler in those positions where he can be taken. If he does, I, I feel like he's going to win him and stop him. 
if he doesn't, I feel like it could be another contested but ultimately clear win for Chandler. I'm going to say that Chandler has been damaged enough that uh, Henderson's got what it takes to turn the corner and beat him this time, possibly by stoppage. You have Henderson by stoppage? Yeah, I think he can get him. I feel like Chandler's still been winning, but Chandler hasn't looked as good as he looked the year before and the year before and the year before. Henderson, I feel, is kind of maybe he's not as great as he was in the UFC, but I still feel like he's been getting better. He's kind of found his stride. He's getting he's getting better. I don't I don't see as much slippage with him. I don't see him just getting knocked around and, and bullied and ragdolled and, and kind of backed off by lesser athletes and lesser strikers. I, I've seen Primus frustrate Chandler twice. I saw Pitbull walk through Chandler. I haven't really seen Michael Chandler look particularly dominant. I can't remember the last fight. He looks really just dominant in. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Do you, do you remember the fight where he was just... Last fight he looked really dominant in? So before I an- answer that question, because I need to look, I got a question for you. Million dollar question. Yeah. When's the last time Vincent Henderson stopped someone? You, you can give me the person and the year. Uh, I want to say it was the UFC. Who was that? I can't remember that guy's name. He moved it to he moved it to welterweight. I think he I don't know if he knocked him out or he submitted him. But it's probably like what six years ago. Like yeah, Russell Pablo. He yeah. submitted him at lightweight. That was I, in twenty fourteen. It's it's not so much that I think that Chandler's just done, but I'm like. All the guys he's been fighting recently aren't really on Henderson's level as grappling, as wrestlers, as athletes, maybe not even as strikers. He's beaten a lot of good second-tier guys, and he hasn't looked particularly particularly dominant in doing so. I mean, he's looked good. He's looked strong. But he's not, he, 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 he's not on the tear he was when he first got in there. And to me, I feel like even in the first Henderson fight, it just took Henderson a little while to get going. But I felt like Henderson late in the fight was in a position where he could take over and Chandler looked like he was starting to slow down. And I don't know. And I, I feel that two, three years later, the playing field has been even more leveled. I feel like Henderson's still where he was at that point physically. And I don't feel like Michael Chandler is, is where he was at that, that point physically anymore. I mean, Brent Primer, right, Sydney Outlaw, Brandon Gert. I'm not going to argue you there because you're basically right about that. Let's move on and let's talk about UFC Fight Night 174. We have Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek in the main event here. People are talking about this fight as it's going to be something amazing. In my opinion, Derek Lewis is going to get taken down and submitted. But what do you see happening in Saturday's main event? Because I don't, I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to get excited at all about this fight. Well, that's what should happen because Derek Lewis, really, in my opinion, he's not a terrible fighter because he's functional in what he does and he plays his strength. Skill-wise, he's just so, so suspect in so many ways. He can't really grapple. If you look at his striking, he's not really even a really great striker technically. Look at his wrestling. It's as far as technical. I mean, you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. As far as a wrestler, technically. 
not great defensively, nor is he great offensively, nor is he great on the counter. He's a big, strong guy with great athleticism, who's got very good timing, and has the durability, fights on the counter, and has the durability and mental toughness to stand fights long enough for a guy to make a mistake and for him to punish that guy. Olenek should outclass him, but almost everybody who's fought Derek Lewis should outclass him. And the thing with Derek Lewis is he's so easy to hit. He's so easy to get in bad positions. He's so easy to kind of dictate pace to. The guys get comfortable. They get a little bit lax. They get a little bit sloppy. And he's got only needs a shot or two to turn the fight. Now, if you look at him just on paper, Olenek should be the better conditioned fighter. He should be the busier, busier fighter. He should be everything except the better athlete. Everything except the better athlete, better. He's smaller. He's quicker. He's in better shape. He's probably... Got the better grappling skills, got the better striking skills, got the better wrestling skills. I don't think he's beaten the best competition. Once again, either is Derek Lewis. Um, so on paper, I, I would say old Nick wins this because, once again, Lewis has been so inconsistent as far as his activity. You don't really know what he has left, but we always know that at any point he can turn a fight with a knockout, knee, kick, elbow, whatever. He, he can pull something out because he's always managed to find ways to hang into fights long enough to exploit whatever mistake his opponent's making. And Olenek being a guy who likes to be volume and busy and pressure, um, when you throw that much and you're that active and you look for finishes and you look to push the pace, you essentially put yourself in the line of fire to get stopped because you're constantly trying to inflict damage on your opponent, which exposes you to having damage inflicted on you. So that's really going to come to the question is, is Olenek's defense enough for him to fight a perfectly clean fight for three rounds or, or five rounds? Or is Olenek going to make a mistake and, and get punished and stops? When you have that kind of power Lewis has, you land one or two shots, that essentially wins you any round you're in. You know, you land one or two shots that are busting somebody up, you win the round off damage. So he doesn't have to knock you out. He just has to land enough shots to make you stumble, drop you, or bust you up to where the judges are like, yeah, this guy's taking him down, but this guy's not submitting him. And every time he touches this guy, this guy's stumbling or getting cut or getting bruised up. So we'll just give him the win based off that, like they did over, like they did when he beat Roy Nelson. So it's on paper, it should be Olenek. Um, I probably still go Olenek because Lewis hasn't particularly active and he's had health problems. But um, I, I won't be shocked if he wins by another helmet, helmet shot and finishes him. It seems to be his specialty. Do you think the winner of this fight puts himself in a position for a, a eventual title shot? Uh, I can't imagine so. I mean, Derek Lewis, I mean, he's got a win over Nganu. I, I don't, I don't, if DC wins, I don't know why DC fight DC's already beat him. I can't imagine Stipe would try to fight him. I mean, I don't know that he brings enough money to the table. I guess it, it, whoever, whoever wins gets moved up. Whoever wins gets moved up. Regardless, but neither guy has been on a high streak, and neither guy's such a big draw that I can guarantee that they're going to be the next in line for a title fight. I still feel Ngannou's next for whoever wins the uh, DC or Stipe fight, and I guess you could do the steep you could do Ngannou Lewis if one of them drops the title name in an intra match. That first fight was so bad. I don't know that anybody would want to pay for that again. You know, regardless of who won, I don't think anybody wants to see that fight again. So I, I don't I don't think either one of them is. I think whoever's there is going to be behind um, is going to be behind Nganu and who's the guy who just blades? 
I think both of them are behind Aganu and Blade. They they put fights together. They put wins together. Um, Lewis hasn't really recently. And Olenek beat Maurice Green and Fabricio Verdum. Verdum's a good win, but Verdum hasn't looked the same in, in years. And I don't think two wins is enough to, to justify him getting a title shot. And as far as Lewis, I think he's got to win at least two, maybe three fights where he's legitimately able to call anybody out for a title fight. I don't disagree with you there at all, sir, at all. Is there anything else that stands out on this card to you? We have a pretty interesting co-main event where Akmari Akmadov, Omari Akmadov, is fighting Chris Weidman. Like, what's Chris Weidman going to show up? I don't, even when Chris might, it's like when people say, what Chris Weidman is going to show up? I don't really know what to say because I feel like the same Chris Weidman shows up. Ever since he had that fight with Luke Rockhold, he's still a guy who's a very good wrestler. He's still a guy who's a very good grappler. He's just a guy whose ability to absorb punishment and recover from punishment is essentially non-existent. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum, who's not a big hitter, had him rocked. Um, Rockhold beat him within an inch of his life. Yo Romero damn near killed him. And then you had, uh, who's the other guy who's in Bellator now? Um, I can't think of the other guy, but he's the Bellator champion right now. Or he was the Bellator champion. He lost it to Raviel Lovato Jr. Um, but he's, he's been stopped time after time after time. So if he can get you in grappling exchanges, get his hands on you, wrestle you, and, and make it a extended grappling or extended wrestling exchange, he's still good. He's still long. He's still strong. He's still agile. He's still got great timing, great conditioning, great positioning. But it seems his ability to hang in or to recover from any sort of exchanges on the feet is slim to none. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum almost had him dead to right. It's just he was able to to force the grappling exchange and, and submit him. And I feel like he could do the same with this guy. But even to grapple, you have to be able to get in range. You have to be able to set it up. And when you have literally almost no margin for error as far as the punishment you can take, it makes it almost impossible to get to the spots you need to. It makes it almost impossible for you to consistently, aggressively pressure and work for takedowns because at some point you're going to get reversed and have to take some punishment. At some point you're going to get sprawled and have to take some punishment. At some point you're going to push somebody up against the cage, they're going to spin you, and they're going to put punishment on you. And if, if Whiteman can't take any damage at all, I don't know how he beats anybody unless he just essentially can walk through him, and I don't know that he can just walk through this guy, whether it's on the ground or not. What about you? How do you see it? I see Chris Wyman getting finished. And I don't think it's going to be pretty in any way, shape, or form. Is he on a win streak or not? Let me look real quick. Because I can't remember the last time he won. No, he, he got knocked out of light heavyweight last fight, if I remember correctly. Oh, he's on a two-fight loser streak. He lost, he lost to Dominic Reyes and Jacare. I think he's get, he gets finished, man. He's one in five in his last six. All five of those losses were by finish. Yeah, if all he can, five. if if he can just, I mean, to be fair, in all those fights, he was able to get the fight to the ground and have some success there. But the thing about it is now he's at the point where it's desperation. If he can't keep you on the ground, it's like he just can't take any punishment at all. I don't know how you win fights when literally any one punch can knock you out or stun you. I mean, I know we, I know in combat sports they say any punch can finish you, but literally when any punch can finish you, how, how do you, how do you come up with an effective game plan for that? 
there's almost no way you're going to consistently do a three-round fight, not get touched on, in, in any aspect, unless, unless you just dominate a guy. And even if you do, how long, how long can you go through that part? If he wins this fight, he just takes him down and beats him up and submits him, that's not going to prove anything to me. I won't believe in him until I start seeing him take punishment, until I start seeing him you know, to take some abuse and work his way through it and then get to where he needs to be at. Because the question isn't his grappling or his wrestling. The question is his ability to absorb and recover from punishment. Because if, you if you're not any sort of threat on the feet, how, how good can you be as a wrestler? I mean, that's a huge question there. Because he has to fight this fight and not get his ten, chin touched. And there's no way that doesn't happen at this point in time in his career. Especially when you know you can't finish him. Like when you know the guy's chin is that suspect... You do any, you'll do anything to get a shot at it. You'll take some chances you shouldn't even take because you know he can't take it. It's like I don't know, I don't know that you can when your chin's that bad, I don't know that you can game plan or strategize around it. And and it seems they're trying to give him the easiest matchup possible to win this. And if he beats this guy, maybe they haven't put it against Shabazian, but Shabazian's real quick and explosive. He he can catch him early in a fight. I, I don't know. I I, I I tend to agree with you. I just don't think he has it anymore. And even if he beats this guy, it's not going to make me feel good about seeing Chris Weidman fight still. I mean, I think if he fights Shabazzian, he gets finished there too as well. I mean, maybe if I'm Derek Brunson and, and Chris Weidman wins the fight, I call out for Chris Brunson. He, uh, Chris Weidman, he's a name. I mean, he's on a losing streak, but he's still a name. And um, maybe I try to get him out of there and, and further build my momentum. I, I just feel bad because at one point, Chris Weidman was considered the future of the division. I never considered him that, and I went on a two years ago. I went on two or three years ago. I went on a long rant about how him and Luke Rocco were about to be exposed, and I, I didn't say that in a negative manner. I don't dislike him. I just felt that he had clear limitations in his fighting style, and once he started fighting people his age, he was going to start losing, which he did. I just never thought he would collapse like this. I mean, I figured he'd be a win some, lose some, but a lose one, win one out of his last six. I never, I never thought Chris Weidman would fall that far. I mean, right now, Anderson Silva is the better fighter than Chris Weidman. In fact, if I'm Anderson Silva, when I come back, I want to fight Chris Weidman and, and, and close, that, close that trilogy out on a win. True that, true that, sir. We have only one question, listen, one listener question today. It's a rather quiet night, even though a lot of stuff is going on today. Um, and it's in reference to Conor McGregor. So he is back to his Twitter fingers type of deal, talking about retiring, talking about I accept, hinting towards all this shit. Dana White went on record saying that he doesn't think McGregor will fight in 2020. So yes or no, and why? Do you think Conor fights this year? Uh, You know, I, I don't know who I read this on Twitter for, but somebody on Twitter was saying Right now, with the pandemic, you can't have people, you know, attend fights. And even though you would get a huge rating with Connor, when Connor fights, not only do you get a huge rating, you get sellout, you know, gates that break records. And they were saying, I don't think they were saying that they didn't think the UFC would let Connor McGregor fight until they were starting to be able to have fans in there so they could pretty much double dip the live gate as well as the pay per views. And at first I thought that was a little crazy, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, Connor guaranteed to fill it up. You get a 30,000 place or a 50,000 uh, seat stadium, Connor will fill that up. And $50,000, you know, $50,000, 50,000 seat 
stadium, that's a big game. We're talking, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25 million dollars. And pay-per-view sales were, it'll clearly break a million, maybe even break two million, depending on who you have them fighting against. It'll break a million even if you just have them fighting a nobody. Um, I don't know that you want to give that kind of money. I mean, he'd, he'd get you a big pay-per-view number right now, but you'd get that pay-per-view number and the live gate if you wait six to eight months and give him some time to work on it, work on what he's doing, uh, address some holes in his game or strengthen some areas in his game and kind of build up a demand for him to come back. So I don't, I don't think he's going to fight either. I don't think the matchup exists where they'd want it right now. I mean, if Gaethje beats, uh, beats, beats Khabib, then their only second fight is what? December, maybe January, depending on who wins. I don't think Khabib would fight Connor again, but if Justin beats him, I could see Justin fighting him in January, maybe the same thing as Super Bowl weekend like they usually do, and that would be a huge fight. But uh, outside of that, I don't know who else they put him in with where they would think it's worth the loss they take on that live gate. I would like, like to see him fight a, like an Anthony Pettis or somebody that still does a million buys, but once again, you miss it on that live gate. And uh, that's a pretty big sum of money for a guy who's consistently been known to sell out stadiums before. So I don't think I don't think they make that fight. I think they really do wait until you know January December before they hold another fight for Conor McGregor so that they can double dip on that payday for him. I can agree with that. I don't think he fights this year for a wealth of reasons, and I think one of the big reasons is because they're trying to get people to turn around in these quick situation fights. I, I, I think he holds out because he'll ask for some uh, a ridiculous amount of money that they can afford, but they don't want to kowtow to. So I can I can agree with you. You know you know something I wanted to ask you about. Have you heard the rumors about Jessica Andrade moving up to uh, flyweight? I have not. Didn't she just get? She's fighting. No, she's fighting Jessica I next. Uh, isn't isn't just the I at flyweight because she is yeah yeah so so they're having moved up I I really think this might work for her I I was surprised she didn't do this after her her loss to the title fight I didn't understand her going back down and weight I mean it's still a weight class where she's probably a better athlete than almost ninety percent of the people in the division and I don't see I don't know who would actually stop her on her way to a win on on her way to a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko um, I know the size advantage won't be as great. But I mean, if you got Cynthia Calvillo kind of bullying people and and Jennifer Maya bullying people, I don't I don't know what Jessica Andrade does when she gets her hands on somebody in that division. I, I actually am a big fan of this. I I don't know who I would pick to beat her. And if she wins two or three fights, she's essentially in the title fight right then. And I don't know two or three people in the division who I say beat her right now. Do you think she can win the win a belt at 125? Oh no, her whole style is pressure and volume, physicality. I feel like her chin's been cracked a little bit. I feel like she's there to be hit, and the biggest advantage she had against Rose was Rose's inability to really absorb punishment and her lack of physicality against a certain kind of athlete. Valentina does not have those problems. She can't just bully her. She hits her with a best shot. Valentina's not going to fold. She puts her hands on her. I'm not saying she can't move Valentina or take her down or back her up, but she's not ragdolling her, and she's not going to wear her out in the same fashion that she wore out um, almost everybody else she fought from Angela Hill to Rose Namajunas to Claudia Gadelia. Valentina has the physical strength. She has the athleticism. More importantly, she has the cardio 
to fight at the pace Jessica Andrade wants to fight at. The question, I, I think I think she stops Andrade within two rounds, but it'd be an exciting fight because Andrade is just going to sell out and uh, try to impose her will on her. And Andrade's got the physicality and athleticism to put her in some bad spots and to land some shots and to get her attention in a way that Jessica, Kevin Shukagan, and even Jennifer Maya aren't going to be able to. Interesting thoughts there, sir. Interesting thoughts. So why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, man? I saw your Captain America piece come back up in my in my feed today. What else are you are you working on? Uh, I'm going over some ideas. Sometimes I'm thinking about looking over some live action fights from shows and maybe reviewing some of them and kind of breaking them down. Like, you know, in, in MMA or boxing, somebody will review an old fight, kind of break it down, show you what they're doing, techniques, where the fight turn. I think about doing something that something that, like that similarly for comic book fights maybe on black lightning you had a couple arrow even uh some of the marvel movies and just do it revisiting it breaking down the the combatants and breaking down what happened in that fight again kind of a closer look for fans of comic books or fans of martial arts who like to see their styles or their skills exhibited in comic book comic book live action movies or tv shows True, true. I am you know, doing my usual, covering MMA, covering uh, pro wrestling. Have you been watching any basketball? Uh, yeah, I've been having part of the job, crazy job now. But yeah, I, I watch a fair amount. I spend a fair amount. It's either combat sports stuff or basketball. That's pretty much the, the majority of my day. What are you liking about the bubble and how they're doing everything down here? Uh, to me, it's like, I mean, I spent a lot of my time at AAU tournaments the last three or four years. Actually, last six six years, we're being honest. So it's kind of fun because it's like being at a big AAU tournament. You just, especially when you don't have a lot of the uh, crowds in there. So you're like an empty gym and you're just watching people play ball and trying to compete. And it's kind of, it's not as emotional as an excite emotional swings and exciting as fans there because it's like in the bubble. It's like watching a really good movie at home by yourself. Like there's a certain quietness and appreciation you can have for the movie because it's just you. But also sometimes when you see a really funny movie or a movie that has a lot of dramatic swings, I don't know about you, but sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, man, I wish I would have saw this movie in a crowd. Like I saw The Dark Knight in a movie theater. I'm so glad I did because it just made the experience that much better. But it's same thing with Avengers Endgame or Infinity War. And, but there's been some movies I've seen and I saw them like at home and I'm like, man, I, re- I really wish I would have saw I saw Civil War at home. I really wish I would have saw this in a movie theater. It would have been really cool to have that energy and that the excitement and the pressure that comes from from having people actively engaged in it. So when you see these games, it's people just playing pure basketball at the purest of levels for the purest of reasons. But sometimes you miss some of the swings and the ebbs and the flows and the excitement that comes with the crowd, you know, 50,000 people booing against somebody who's got to hit a clutch free throw or the guy hitting a, a tough shot and silencing a crowd of 50,000 people. There's something about that that resonates with you. But I, I like the purity of it. I like the fact that it's pretty much just skills on skills and if you're a competition, which is, you know, as a person who trains kids, that, that's pretty much what I'm here for. That's what's up, man. I've, been, I've really been enjoying it as well, too. I'm watching the game right now, actually, as we end this show. So- oh, wait, wait, wait. One more thing. One more thing I want to touch on. It's actually a boxing thing. But I wanted to touch on it here. Go ahead. Uh, we got Vasily Lomachenko, supposed to be fighting Teofimo Lopez. And Lopez seems to be kind of being iffy about the fight because he wants more money. 
And while I'm always a fan of fighters getting paid the money they deserve and having sponsorship opportunities and opportunities to increase their brand and pay for their families, because it is a dangerous way to make a living, I have this rule when you're a fighter. And I've told other fighters I've, tra- I've worked with about this. You can't call a fighter out as a man being scared of you, ducking you, afraid to take this whooping, challenge his pride, challenge his skill, challenge his competitiveness as an athlete. And then when that person accepts the fight, start talking money. I understand it's about money. I understand it's prize fighting. But when you call that person out in the newspaper and after your fight and in your press conference, it wasn't about money. It was about he's afraid of me. He's ducking me. He's old. He's ready to be taken. I'm here to be the king. And as soon as that opportunity comes, you start talking about, well, I need to get paid and it's a big fight and I need to get my money's worth. Yeah, you do. But you should have had that talk before. You don't get to talk tough. And act like, you know, it's the same thing I tell with MMA guys. I'm a warrior. I do this for free. I'm prepared to die in there. Well, you're prepared to die in there. Why are you trying to negotiate more money? Because the warrior doesn't have that option. He just got to fight. He doesn't get to dictate those terms. So while I understand what he's doing, to me, it's a bad look because if this fight falls through, you're the one who's been campaigning for it. You're the one who's been demanding it. You're the guy who's been talking about this other guy for years. And now you have him. He signed the contract. He's ready to go. And now you're talking about, well, I need to get more money. And as a fighter, you do. But sometimes you got to take the short money to, to, to take the next step. Even Floyd Mayweather took short money and let Oscar De La Hoya dictate terms because he knew that fighting Oscar De La Hoya was going to move him to a different echelon and open up all these other opportunities. He's a businessman and he's a fighter. He took on a challenge, but he understood what that challenge would do for him. Lopez seems to want the best of both worlds. And if that's what he's doing, I, I think it's going to backfire on him, whether, whether he gets the fighter later or not. Now it's the time to get it. You demanded it. You're getting offered it. Take what it is. And you're so sure you can win. Beat the guy. Get the rematch. Then you dictate the terms. You demand how much money you're getting. You're in control from that point on. But you can't call someone out as a man and then say, well, we need to talk about, let's talk about numbers. Talk about numbers before. Be a businessman or be a fighter. But don't don't pick and choose when you're going to make these stands because it makes you look suspect to me. That is a hell of a stance there, man. Are, are there any fights you're looking forward to? There was that Showtime. I saw that the the opening fight on Showtime was card last weekend where you caught that nasty lead uppercut. That put oh, yeah. That, that, that guy should be thrown in jail for that punch. The, the hard thing about boxing is right now, I'm looking forward to Errol Spence, Danny Garcia. And the reason in... A lot of boxers are not wanting to take pay cuts because of the pandemic. You're not going to get the money you're used to taking. They used to be fighting these guys who were 50-50 fighters or people nobody knew, and they would get $2 million, $3 million, $4 million to fight those guys. But with the pandemic and how other people are out of business and can't afford pay-per-views and can't afford trips to these places, for you to get that same kind of money, you're going to have to fight a better class of opponent. Now, a lot of these guys were like, well, if I got $5 million to fight Rod Salka, I should get... 10 million to fight a guy who is halfway decent. And that's not the way it's going to be anymore. You want 10 million, you're going to have to start fighting guys who we recognize and we, we acknowledge as top main fighters. Uh, guys like Ryan Garcia or Teofimo Lopez, they want top money. We, we've got to see you perform at the highest level. And these guys are used to getting paid very well and used to getting the extra bonuses from the promotions and from fans. But that's not going to be the case anymore. People don't have a lot of disposable income. So if you want me to part from my money, that I need and I don't have a lot of, then I got to know that you're, if you not get a quick knockout over a guy who's a top guy in your division or a pound-for-pound pound guy, I'm okay with that. But watching you beat up on a guy who's 11-11 and 11 
that doesn't do it for me anymore. And a lot of people just not just aren't going to tolerate it and support it. The, the, the economy won't. So these guys either got to start paying, taking pay cut or they got to start facing opposition. In the case of Errol Spin, he's facing Danny Garcia, who's a former world champion, still a top three, top four welterweight. And Danny Garcia is fighting Errol Spence, who everybody who works for Al Heyman or in the, the PBC has been trying to avoid, only fought when they had to fight him. So that's two high-level welterweight who are going to be fighting for a world championship. That's a fight that will get you paid, and people won't feel bad about you getting paid. These other guys who are trying to fight some journeyman guy or some guy who's damaged goods, who, who, who might make them go some rounds, that's not going to cut it anymore. People want to see real challenges. You want, you want to get paid real money? I want to see you in there with a real threat. If there's not a threat of you getting knocked out or beaten or losing that undefeated record, I ain't paying for it. And these guys are going to have to start readjusting to that. If they don't want to adjust, they won't be fighting because people are not going to pay to see them beat up on somebody who's outclassed anymore. Good stuff, man. We got to um, continue to build our content, what we're talking about here. So maybe we have a boxing show coming up in the future or something like that. We'll pitch that idea around. But with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. Uh, thank you for joining me today, sir, a little bit later than usual. But, you know, the Dana White Contender Series was on. So we'll be back next week around the same time. And Just another job for you to work, man. What's that, 15 now? Or is it 17? Just about. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week. More. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. And have fun watching the fights. Thank you, sir. Take it easy. <laughs>